general nerdery. You've poisoned me. <laughs> you have poisoned me with what we've been ingesting today. Yeah. It's going to be Marvel Snap and we're going to be talking about it because I started today and I've played like 10 matches. And, and it's we've great, already right? recorded a podcast also since after getting off work. Um, how dare you? <laughs> yes, it is. Welcome to General Nerdery, your podcast about liking things. I'm Zach. I'm Tyler. And uh, I almost forgot what to say right? when yep. the answer is my name. <laughs> <laughs> we just we just did the midterm for New Island, so the answer is usually like Tommy Time. Fucking Tommy time. Ghost or... Oh, I can cuss again. Though. Yeah! Yes. <laughs> or uh, who is used to Von Struten, the ghost with the robot hands. Man, that is... Comics are the best. Ghost with the robot hands um, so And on good. that note, we are here to finish the... Uh, well, I guess kind of finish the Grant Morrison Justice League run. Finish-ish. Finish-ish. Uh, Fin-ish. <laughs> oh, my God. And... But before that... What have we been ingesting? What have we been... Oh, God. How long has it been since we did this? Two weeks. Has it only been two weeks? Yes, this one we've been able to keep doing. That's right. It's our other podcasts that keep being cursed. What did I... What What have I ingested in two weeks? Had I finished Severance yet last time? Uh, I think you said you were watching it. I don't know if you said you Okay, well, it. finished it. It was fucking amazing. So good. Oh my god. It's a, the last episode ends on such a good cliffhanger. One that actually, like, I'm pretty sure they're coming back if they weren't coming back. Like, it would suck, but it would, it doesn't wrap things up by any means, but I would still be happy with it just because of, like, the feeling it leaves me with. Mm. Yeah. It's not a complete feeling, but it's just like a holy shit. That's wild. Okay. Um,. I've act, I mean, God, I've actually been watching a lot of shit because that's like all I've been doing. Almost all of all three seasons of Tacoma FD. That's the firefighting one with some of the guys from like uh, uh, from Broken Lizard from like uh, yeah, Super, Super Troopers. Troopers. And, and it's also got the guy that plays um, Rutherford from Lower Decks. Yeah, Eugene Cordero. Yeah, yeah. I'm, it's fine. It's not like the greatest sitcom of all time. I like it. Like went through all three seasons. Yeah. It's good. It's just been like kind of a good fallback to cool. This is good and funny. I know I get a few laughs every episode and I like the broken lizard guys. So I liked super troopers. I don't know if I would today. Um, I didn't care for beer fest. Mm. It was uh, fine. I need to rewatch club dread. I know I've seen it, but mm-hmm. Anyway, oh god, I feel like I've been watching a lot more than just that, but maybe not. Uh, Marvel Snap? <laughs> yeah. Alright, let's dive into that, you bastard. <laughs> so, I downloaded Marvel Snap like a week or two ago, mm -hmm. and I didn't pick it up yet. Until but like two hours ago. You and Mac were playing when I got here to record podcasts... And we were making a pizza anyway. And so we were going to sit and eat. So I was like, all right, I'll try it just so I know what they're talking about. Thinking like, I'm probably not going to get into it. I have played so many. I was playing games while we were watching the trailers. Like I'm doing, this is the kind of thing where I'm going to have to make sure I'm not playing games while driving home. Yeah. It's good. I will not. I promise. But <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, oh my God. 
It's good. And the games are, you're in and out in a snap, right? Yeah. Like, no, I I knew you said they were short games and I knew, but like, I'm not usually much of a card player. So I'm like, mm -hmm. oh, whatever. Okay. It's a card game. Magic, the gathering destroys friendships. <laughs> I don't need to get, I, I probably won't get that into it now. I'm like, could I podcast and play this game right now? No, I can't, but thinking close. Of, I'm thinking about You could come really close, man. <laughs> if you had the cards to run, sure you could. Yeah, I can't right now. I'm still Also, if just... you had an Agatha deck, you could, but that's just because of the way Agatha plays, which is she plays cards for you, and you just have to hit end turn. Oh, God, that's mean. Um, yeah, it is. So for those of you who haven't actually played it, because I know we've talked that it's a Marvel card yeah. deck but it's a max of six rounds you only have what like 12 cards in a deck uh and then there are different marvel heroes and villains with different abilities and like power levels and you have to put them into three different zones and if you control two zones based Eight. off the power level at the end you win i don't know if that makes sense but it makes a lot of sense once you get going it I sounds never, more complicated to say out loud than I was to actually very play. scared to start playing. And then literally by the second, like the, they do two tutorial rounds and the first one, they don't worry about like the cost. Mm -hmm. You just play cards and you're like, ah, I understand the basics. And then they add in costs and you're like, ah, I understand the details. And like, yeah, I'm going to play it when I get home. It's fun. And especially where you're at too, as you just start unlocking cards and you kind of know what's coming and I have yet to lose, which means when I do lose, I'm going to lose hard. Uh, you'll probably still be facing bots for a while. I was wondering if I, cause they make strange decisions. So from what I understand up till about rank 30, you play mostly bots, not mm. always, but probably mostly bots after rank 30 is when you start playing humans f more often than not. Um, I know at a, some, I know at some point in the higher ranks, it changes back to being all mostly bots again, just because there's not as many people at that, at rank. that higher rank. Uh, but those bots are also tuned to a higher difficulty. Yeah. And in fact, you will definitely start running into bots that you realize are reading your hand. Ooh, I don't like that. Because they'll like, just... well, like they'll do things like where if you make, as soon as you make the winning move, even before you hit end turn, they'll automatically retreat as soon as you lock that card into place. That sort of thing. Hmm. So I am at collection level nine. If that matters, I don't know what rank how rank is. Oh yeah, yeah you. Collection level's different. Okay. Um, I'm not even sure if they're showing you rank yet. Don't even worry. It's not at all. <laughs> it's not at all important. I just was... For the record, I'm at collection level uh, 1,560. Well, la-dee-da, Mr. Fancy Pants. I know. <laughs> I assumed you were at some obscenely high number. I, I was expecting it to be higher, honestly. Um, yeah, no, I'm not that. I mean, I've been bringing it up like every time for the past mm -hmm. however many episodes. I still I was trying to figure it out the other week. I probably play between 20 and 60 matches a week. And that's about it. Uh, OK, that's a few matches a day. Yeah, that's not. Yeah. 
It's not I, it's not an obscene amount of time. It's just that like that's what I'm fitting in. Like as soon as I get to the bus stop, I know I'm going to be waiting for a couple minutes, so, so it automatically yeah, pops yeah. up. And I am trying to rank up now to get some of the rewards. I don't care. <laughs> I don't care necessarily about getting to infinite, but at rank sixty, you get a free uh, mystery variant. Oh, that's cool. and I'm at rank fifty six, so I'm like cool. Four more ranks and I'm there. I like that it does seem like all of like you can spend real money because obviously microtransactions are a fact of gaming, especially any kind of mobile gaming. Mm-hmm. But it seems to mostly just be for like different card skins as opposed to like if you pay twenty bucks you can get the good cards. Right. Um like if you get premium and stuff for a season, then mm-hmm. you'll get cards earlier. But you and, can still get the But you can yeah. still get those cards without doing that. You just have to pay attention to what re where you're spending your resources. And it's not that hard. Like I've bought cards in the in the token shop. And they actually just a couple weeks ago made it so that once you, this takes a long time, but once you get every pool three card, you actually earn even more tokens to get the rest of the cards even quicker. So oh, that's cool. It's just that there's a ton of pool three cards. So, mm-hmm. um, and then also just last night, both of the things I'm going to talk about are stuff I've only played for like an hour, but I finally started Legend of Zelda Skyward Sword. Okay. Which is the Wii one, except I have it for the Nintendo Switch. Right. I bought it for CC, I think, like a year ago for Christmas, and we just never picked it up because we own Breath of the Wild, and we kept just... Doing that instead. It's Zelda. Yeah. We're going to play that. Um, It's interesting. Have you ever played this one? No, no. So it's the one where, because it was an early Wii title, they were pretty determined to, uh, I don't know how early, but it because it was a Wii title, they were pretty determined to force you to use the Wiimote as, like, a sword. Okay. Which partially drives me nuts because it's the first Legend of Zelda game where, Zelda's, or where Link is not left-handed. Oh. Link is historically left-handed. Yes, and it's, I, I knew it that. It makes me feel seen. But uh, because most people are right-handed, they swapped it around. That's right. The controls are really kind of janky. And you either do your attacks by uh, moving your hand around as the attack, and there's like diagonal attack which is really twitchy so you have to get the perfect diagonal Mm. or like a cross or an up down attack or a stab i'm doing the motions with my hand or you use the right joystick if you're doing the like not motion controls okay and that is the not motion controls are so much better for everything except for combat and the combat is better for the motion controls where you're actually moving your arm around it's just how do they how do they do it with the the joystick? The right so you would just yeah. go like left right or up down on the joystick like you just oh, okay. move the joystick around. And it's um janky. It's one of those I give them credit they were trying new things. It only sort of works. And I'm sure I'll get used to it and it'll get easier, but it's um kind of a pain in the butt. And I was talking with one of our coworkers, Marcus, about this. When I go back to play like the N64 Legend of Zelda games and it's got weird janky controls or limitations of what the hardware Mm -hmm. can do, I have the affection of those games. 
So the step down from the, like, more advanced games, I have the affection to make up for the fact of, like, the frustrating part. Right. I don't have the f- affection for Skyward Sword. Yeah, there's there's no nostalgia there. There's this no is nostalgia. A- so I'm mostly just getting mad at the controls, which is too bad because the, I mean, I'm, as I said, maybe an hour in. Mm-hmm. And a lot of that was trying to make the controls work. But I like the world. The story is already interesting. I just, I'm already having trouble fighting Keese and uh, the, like, blobby, like, gel oh, thing. Yeah, not, yeah, yeah. Not trouble, but I keep being like, don't stop, go back the fuck off. Like, <laughs> um, the, the controls remind me of something they tried to innovate with. I can't remember what they called it, but it was in Fight Night Round 4, which is possibly the last uh, licensed boxing game that will ever be made, because I believe they changed the way that players' licenses get worked out after that game. So they were kind of able to do it as a big, like, branching thing and just get everybody under one deal back when this game was made, and you can't do that anymore. (laughs) Uh, So we have a lot better chance of seeing, like, Ready to Rumble. Mm-hmm. rather than any, anything real. But anyway, that's a its own side tangent. You could do more, like, classic controls of, like, you know, the, a button, the face B buttons for, yeah. you know, the jabs, and, you know, you had the hooks, and you hold a button to modify it to an uppercut, that sort of thing. But they also had it so that you could use the right joystick to throw punches. And if you just flicked it forward, it would be a jab. If you rocked it to the side and rolled it forward, it was a hook. And if you pulled it back and rolled it forward, it would uppercut. And then you just adjusted, you hit a button to adjust your height, whether you were up or going for the body. Okay. It was really janky to get used to at first. I challenged myself to do it for a week. I forgot that I was even using it after like half a day and it just was rolling insanely naturally. It was really weird. Yeah. I mean, I'm going to keep playing. As I mm-hmm. said, I liked it and it was... I actually do a hybrid now anyway. And it was interesting, Like, but I just keep being like, just let me hit the A button to slash at them, man. Like, come on. I throw, uh, I throw my jabs with the face buttons and I throw my uppercuts with the stick. Mm. Uh, it was interesting, though, because as I said, like, I've played, I mean, I played Ocarina, Majora's Mask, Wind Waker, Twilight Princess. Like, I mm-hmm. did that whole generation of 3D Zelda games, skipped Skyward Sword, and then went to Breath of the Wild, which is, it It may as well be a different series with yeah. the, like, number of upgrades and stuff. And it was interesting to see how much Skyward Sword is kind of a middle step. It is still very much in the style of those older games, but some of the advancements that they made for Skyward Sword are stuff that I didn't get in Skyward Sword, so I just got Breath of the Wild that was like, why didn't they do this years ago? They did. They just did it for the game I didn't play. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about Justice Let's League. Let's take a quick break and talk about some Justice League. So we enter into, I guess... Well, we have this and we have one more Grant Morrison Justice League after this, but that's all the kind of the the side stories that came out, the little miniseries, the yada, yada, yada. But what we are here is the climax or the buildup in the climax of what is commonly regarded as possibly the greatest Justice League run of all time. I have already resolved to read this entire run again. 
which is not something I usually have decided by the time I have finished reading. (laughs) And it was interesting after last week when I was expecting to like it better than the first part. And I liked the first part better. I was like, am I going to think that again? And nope. I love, I mean, there's some like weaker points here. It tends to be some of the side stories, but this series starts running with the ultramarine core Mm -hmm. and it doesn't stop until the final page. Yeah, so for this uh, episode, we're going uh, number 24 through 41. Mm-hmm. 24 is where we start with the ultramarine stuff. Uh, that was a lot of fun. I liked it. There was some interesting kind of stuff on this. The ultramarine core is um, kind of a... I don't know if it, it's a... A commentary on the like government teams of superheroes because that was becoming more and more popular. I mean, a lot of like Youngblood from uh, Image oh, was a government-backed yeah. super team. Mm-hmm. It was coming, uh, and then that would act that would actually kind of reach its heyday with the Ultimates a few years later, the Ultimate Avengers, basically. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if it was specifically commentary, but it sure felt like it, and like. Or, I don't know, possibly even commentary on the problem of patriotic superheroes in with the American industrial military complex. Like, it brings in a General Wade Eiling, who is a villain from Captain Adam comic books in, like, the 80s. When they mention at the very beginning, they're like, they think that it would forget Project Adam and all that stuff. Eiling set Captain Adam up to die, and then years later, Captain Adam comes back to life, basically. Mm-hmm. With nuclear powers, Eiling is married to his wife, to Captain Adam's wife, and is, like, manipulating him into terrible situations. So Eiling's an existing villain mm-hmm. who is uh, voiced by J.K. Simmons in the Justice League cartoon, which is amazing. When I, There's a few places here I went. That's really good. Who, Yeah, people who voiced him in that cartoon and then, like, read some of these in those voices and was like, oh, so that was perfect. Ooh, that's really good. The backstory they give for them, because it's these people given superpowers and they're given a fake backstory to explain it away, is the plot to Stargate. Right. Four people, the SG-1 mm-hmm. team, step through a portal to another world, and then when they come back out, in this case, they're now superhumans instead of Richard Dean Anderson and a couple of other people. Well, and of course, you can... They're also riffing a little bit on the Fantastic Four with Mm -hmm. them. The powers don't line up quite the same. But enough that you get the gist. Yeah. Uh, There's a a big water guy. There's a... Basically a person that can slip between the second and the fourth dimension. Mm -hmm. There is a person who doesn't have a body anymore and they just exist now in some kind of power armor basically. Yeah. And then I've never quite understood what the fourth person does, but they seem to have some kind of reality warping. It's Grant Morrison. It could be anything, (laughs) right? They, uh, what Eiling sends them to kill the JLA because after the 1 million event and Vandal Savage nuked a town, uh, there's a whole lot of fear about like, well, the JLA doesn't work for America specifically. They're just using the name. So we have to take them out. 
And Eiling openly admits, he's like, yeah, military cooing you, Mr. President. Uh, we'll deal with it later. Bye. <laughs> and the military and the Ultramarine Corps attacks the Justice League. Meanwhile, an ancient uh, Justice League villain who I've never read the original issue, the Shaggy Man. Right. Is stolen. Shaggy Man's. I don't remember why I ended up researching Shaggy Man at one point. To be completely honest, I think it was I've I, I've written a couple uh, bare bones uh, layouts for comics while coming down off acid a couple times. You've mentioned. And I think one of the I ended up doing some research on Shaggy Man during <laughs> one of those times. <laughs> so the Shaggy Man is kind of like an Amazo robot. It, it's a. It's a being engineered to take on the Justice League or to kind of survive everything. It's a big, hairy creature that looks kind of like a Sasquatch that just can't be killed. It doesn't need to breathe. It doesn't need to eat. It will regenerate any damage. It's It just continues. Insanely as it strong. Is. Yeah, yeah, it is the impossible being. And then... While most of the Justice League is fighting the Ultramarine Corps because they force a confrontation, Batman, the Huntress, and Plastic Man. Which, God, I love anytime Plastic Man hangs out with the Bat family. It makes sense because he's a low level, former low level crook turned superhero with some like detective ability. Mm-hmm. But also, you put him with fucking Batman, and suddenly it's just comedy ensues forever for me. Uh, they're investigating the the Shaggy Man's disappearance. And it turns out that Eiling, who was dying of brain cancer, put his mind in the Shaggy Man's body. So, angry these days would probably be alt-right military general in the body of the unkillable creature. And that's... When we first started talking about the the whole ultramarine thing, how it might be a bit of a commentary on government superheroes and stuff, I think it's a little bit deeper and just a commentary on this is the problem with governments and militaries getting any significant boost in power because it never truly goes away at that point. Mm Mm-hmm. Because it's something that does seep into Grant Morrison's work here and there, and uh, you you can kind of start to notice it after a while, but it's especially apparent with, uh, after a couple of interviews that I have heard with them. During part of their childhood, the U.S. military was keeping nuclear subs across the bay, in the city they were growing up in. Scotland, right? Yeah. Glasgow. So, yeah. And it was kind of terrifying. Yeah, man. But also, the U.S. military presence was what first brought comics to them. Or at least outside the British comic scene. Mm-hmm. Man, that's got to be wild. Um, the, the Hellblazer story they wrote actually directly references, like... The nuclear subs, because Hellblazer has no problem getting political. <laughs> yeah, and... you can get a lot more in your face about it with Hellblazer. Mm-hmm. Um, but it does pop up from time to time, you'll notice, in, in Morrison's other stuff, too. And just, like, the fear of, like, the fact that once the military and governments get a certain level of power, it never truly goes away. And I don't think it was any 
like any accident that it's Shaggy Man that's chosen for Eiling. Eiling is, I mean, he's not a badly written character. He's extremely well written, but he is the kind of character that just makes me roll my eyes so hard into my head that I feel like they're going to hit my brain. Like, <laughs> can't be the Shaggy Man. I haven't had a beard since uh, my daddy gave me his razor when I was 13. I'm not going to lie. I hated that. Like, I love the Shaggy Man Shaggy look. Yes, no, I'm with you. I agree. Yeah, I hate that, it's, man. But it's so on brand for Eiling. It is. Like, it's really on brand for Eiling. And that's what I mean I of, like, rolling. Can't fucking stand it. Uh, or the whole thing where he keeps being like, they're civilians, we're Marines, figure it out for yourself. And I'm like... That's the Justice League. Yeah. <laughs> like, uh, Mark Miller went off. Uh, oh, before oh, that, before at that. the very end, it turns out that they figure out that, oh, the Shaggy Man is, the Eiling is behind it all. He's calling himself the General now. Mm-hmm. Um, they stop him by teleporting him to a asteroid in the asteroid belt and leaving him there. And then the Ultramarine Corps becomes the International Ultramarine Corps who basically operate as the global guardians. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was an ongoing thing for a while of here is a uh, international team of superheroes in the DC universe that they're not the justice league, but that like oftentimes the UN would have connection to them or whatever. It was the global guardians. And then it was the justice league international. And now it's, although these guys aren't UN connected, it's uh the International Ultramarine Corps, and they bring in other people, like Tasmanian Devil was shown there, um, Jack-O-Lantern was shown there, you saw Vixen in the final screen, and you see Knight and Squire, who is the British Batman and Robin, who we talk about over on a Word Balloons episode, but is Grant Morrison characters that he loved to sneak into stuff, and he has this, like, long, ongoing history that he'll give you hints of when they appear with the idea that there's been a like 400 issue comic series of night and spire. That's just happening in the background, which I love. Oh yeah. These guys do not come up again in this run, but they will come up again in later Grant Morrison stories. We'll talk about them in our next justice league one. And they're used briefly in final crisis. Now, Mark Miller, now the Mark Miller, Maybe my favorite Mark Miller story ever written. It's pretty good, right? It's pretty good. It is. It's the, a clever way to end a one-off. And the most Mark Miller. If Mil- it was the end of a series, not buying it. No. It's the most Mark Millery, Mark Miller, not uh, the least Mark Millery, Mark Miller story I've ever read. Yeah. It, it's got him very in control. He's not got his like hyper realism saying fuck for no reason. It kind of feels like a classic, like, 50s sci-fi story. Yep. Uh, Starts with Green Lantern and the Flash coming to recruit the Atom to be in to join the Justice League. Mm -hmm. Side note, to get another voice acting perfection, Dr. Cox from Scrubs voiced the Atom in the Justice League. That's a really good one. And it's so good. That's a really good one. Meanwhile, the Amazo is at risk of waking up soon. Amazo is a robot built by, I can never remember if it's by Professor Ivo or T.O. Morrow. Oh, shit. One of them created Red Tornado and one of them created 
Uh, oh God, uh, no, I'm going to look it up. Uh, Amazo, and both of them work together to create Tomorrow Woman from the first first bit. The big thing about Amazo is that it has all the powers of the Justice League. He'll actually come up in Young Justice in a pretty good episode where he can just mimic the powers of people around him. Ivo. Ivo. Because Ivo's good at the mechanics, Maro's good at the brain. Mm-hmm. The uh, android wakes up early and then they keep bringing in more Justice League members to help deal with it. But it just keeps gaining all the powers. Because the big twist of this version of the Amazo android is anyone who is a member of the Justice League, he automatically gains their powers. Don't know how that one works, but... Whatever. Sure, but they find this out a little too late into the game here. Um, that said, there's that great panel... The, I can't remember who the artist is for this series. He's done a lot of the side issues. He's a artist for Naughty Dog, actually. Like, I think he might be the lead artist for Naughty Dog, the uh, game company. Pajarillo? I think so. He's great. I actually really like his art style. I think it's good. That's a terrible... I think it's good. He's <laughs> um, so good. But there's a great image, even though it backfires dramatically, where a bunch of heroes are coming in. And I think it's Blue Beetle being like, haven't you heard, pal? We're the Justice League or something like that. Or haven't you heard, like, we've, like, tripled in size, something like that. And Amazo's like, yes! <laughs> Everyone's like, wait, no. But you see all these former leaguers. And it's one thing I love about Grant Morrison's run is it's a lot of modern Justice League runs will almost ignore everything that's come before, treat it like new. Morrison, while doing new and interesting things, was so heavily tapping into old-school Justice League history. I mean, bringing in the Shaggy Man. We talked last time about how all of the uh, new Justice League members from Strength in Numbers was analogs oh. of the first people to join Huntress exactly. is green arrow and black canary. Mm-hmm. Uh, Steel is kind of the Adam cause he's a scientist. Zariel's Hawkman. Right. Plaz is elongated man. I mean, we see blue beetle front and center here. Mm-hmm. That would never happen anymore. We see black lightning in there. There's power girl. There's, there's I a lot of characters. The Ray. Yeah. There's characters who do not get time and attention. Okay. Like this is jumping forward, but triumph. Look, man, Justice League Task Force was a choice. <laughs> um, we will get there in a minute. Triumph does not appear in this panel. But you uh, know what I'm getting at. Oh, yeah. If you're going to use Triumph, you are dedicated to using Justice League history. Mm-hmm. Uh, turns out that the Atom has the solution of how to beat this guy. And it's pretty simple. If he has the power of all of the Justice League... Disband the league. So good. It's so good. And it's officially disbanded just long enough to bring it up. And then you have the Atom in his tiny little floating chair as the, like, Justice League scientific advisor. It reminds me almost of, like, a Twilight Zone episode. That kind of ending. A lost art and comic books. And it's the one-off. I love a well-done one-off single issue you beginning middle end. you tell a complete story you have some emotional arc to it you have real feeling of stuff that's happening it is i don't have anything i would change in this script 
This is, I was about to say, this is just a really good one-off to, like, copy. Mm-hmm. Like, this could be... Uh, these are both shows that have now ended their runs, but, like, this would have been a good episode of Young Justice. This would have been a good episode of Batman the Brave and the Bold. Oh, yeah. Well, and they have a little side story of uh, Martian Manhunter, Superman, and Batman debating expanding the League and whether that'll help or not, and, like... We can't just bring in power. We should bring in, like, brain, mm-hmm. which ties into the whole thing. Like, it, it's just the whole, it, it is very smartly written. I believe this was during the era that Grant Morrison was still helping out Mark Miller a lot. And I have to wonder if he was still helping out here. Right. And not to understate Mark Miller. I mean, there's people who really love him, and he has written comics that make me understand why. I just... He's kind of the Quentin Tarantino of comics sometimes, for good or ill. Mm-hmm. And this is not a Quentin Tarantino issue. No, no, it's not. Not one bit. It fits very well into this run, too, I would say. Mm-hmm. Then it goes into the Crisis Times 5, which is the JSA stuff. This is a kind of backdoor pilot for a new JSA series that they decided to launch after after JLA was the giant success that it was. And we actually read that first arc over on Noob Island way back when on our Dr. Fate episode. That's right. That's right. But uh, it starts with a kid saying, say you love the devil and like clicking a pen thinking it's a some magic spell to contact the devil. Turns out it's not. It's a genie. Oh, I love that bit where he's like, is it because of, because of the devil? He's like, forget about that part. It was the say you. just you. have to say the word say you, buddy. You just, you really lucked out on that one. <laughs> you just, yeah. Uh, it also, let's see. This, this is a wild issue because it brings in and brings connection to the fifth dimension. Fifth dimensional imps, which are major characters and like, I mean, the Batmite, Mr. Mixelpidilic from uh, Superman, they appeared a lot in the 50s, but weren't aren't heavily touched on for the most part in modern day. Grant Morrison brought them back. You bring in... I like Mixie. I like fifth dimensional stuff. I love the way it was visually represented with the bits that we had to run into. I found this storyline kind of hard to follow overall, though. It is. It's very hard to follow. Um, I was going to say it let him bring in Captain Marvel. And I actually really like when Grant Morrison writes Captain Marvel, like because he gets the weird stuff that you can do with magic, but he understands that you should. He doesn't try to make Captain Marvel something he's not. Mm-hmm. He lets him be holy moly. Like, uh, how is it? He is a kid's view of what an adult should be. Yeah, that was the line. Is how Green Lantern describes him, and you're like, mm-hmm. "Yeah, man, that was really good." I I loved just hearing that line because I'm like, "Oh, that's perfect." So the basic concept. I'm gonna try to explain this. We're gonna jump past it for the most part. We'll talk a little bit about the JSA, but the the basic plot line of this is there are interdimensional genies who had never been revealed to be from the fifth dimension before. That was Grant Morrison taking various pieces of different DC lore and like sticking them all together. Yeah. One is the pink genie say you of Johnny Thunderbolt who, um, 
Johnny Thunderbolt was a fan of the JSA who had a pink genie that lived in his pen. Yes. And wasn't the most powerful member of the JSA because Johnny, for all of his good heart, was an idiot. They don't say it that way. They're like, he wasn't the quickest or whatever. <laughs> yeah. but like he, He's an idiot. He's like if Jimmy Olsen had a magic pen and less intelligence, and that's not Oof. a great thing. Um, a good explanation, though. <laughs> but Johnny has gone senile, and the pen was lost, because Jay Garrick accidentally stole it to sign autographs. Right. There is another demon, another genie, that manages to get connected with a former leaguer named Triumph. Have you ever heard of Triumph before this? Because I have I've only heard of Triumph. That's it. And I think that's only because I've read about this run. Okay. So for a quick explanation, Triumph was created by Mark Wade, who comes up a lot because Mark Wade's friggin' fantastic. But uh, before, Mark Wade does the next one off. Yeah. Or two off, I guess. But Mark Wade is one of the most reliable writers in comic books. He wrote Kingdom Come. Mm-hmm. Um which is his, like, one moment of true brilliance. Everything else is just, like, solid A writing. Triumph was an unknown original founding member of the Justice League. Like, he's the one that brought them together in a first appearance. But thanks to whatever happened in that first appearance, uh, he was written out of the time stream. Okay. And never existed. Mm-hmm. So the Justice League ended up basically reforming on another adventure like a week later on their own unconsciously like brought as I understand it at least unconsciously brought together by memories or like right they're like we're a team now even though they don't know why yeah and like they're or they're more open to it you know or we've worked together before even though we haven't it's kind of it's kind of like how they eventually had to get Mark Wagner to write Trinity yes to explain why the Batman, Superman, Wonder Woman pairing were like unstoppable immediately. Mm-hmm. Triumph uh, reappears years later during Zero Hour, which is a big. It was Crisis on Infinite Earths, but for timelines instead of alternate Earths. Okay. Let's just clean stuff up. Big mm-hmm. event comic. He's brought back in. And he suddenly realizes that, like, he's a founding Justice League member. The others are venerated almost as gods in the superhero world. And no one's ever even heard of him. So he's kind of a giant jerk about it. And he's at one, at first, kind of like one over of, like, I'm going to re-earn my name, yada, yada, yada. He joins Martian Manhunter's Justice League Task Force. But then he gets fired from it for a while because he's a big jerk. Yeah. He doesn't want to listen to anyone. He keeps trying to manipulate things. He ignores Martian Manhunter's orders because in his mind, he's the greatest superhero that's ever lived. He should be. He's the one that got the Justice League together. Yeah. He should be what Superman is. During another Mark Wade written series where Neuron first appears and offers people like light this candle to agree to this thing. And I will. If you sell your soul, you'll get what you want most. But there's always monkey paw twists. <laughs> um, except for the Joker who just wanted a box of cigars. But it's like my favorite little Joker tidbit. Can I um, just mention that I, w- I would love if there was some writer that did a story with the meta that took into account the meta narrative of the fact that Neron is like the only demon that seems to ever really deal with mainliners. <laughs> and whenever it's like an actual mystical threat, it's always 
somebody else. <laughs> it's Neuron like doesn't he'll... deal with magic users. He just deals with like normal yeah. quote unquote people. It's like he always draws the short straw that has to go deal with the normies. <laughs> <laughs> oh God, I would love that. Um, anyways, Neron offers him a candle of like, you'll get all that time back. You'll never have disappeared like mm-hmm. you did if you like the candle sell your soul and he chooses not to do it. But the justice league task force who have a power outage going on at their base, find the candle and light the candle, not knowing that this is the demon soul candle. candle. So they accidentally <laughs> sell triumph soul to the devil. And what makes it even darker is nothing happens. Right. He would have been a forgotten has been one way or the other. Uh, Christopher Priest wrote those issues. The guy who did the most famous Black Panther run. Oh, yeah, yeah. Fantastic writer. But at the end of it, he doesn't have any powers. He doesn't have anything else. But he ends up accidentally freeing this genie. And the genie manipulates him into like, let me free and I'll give you your powers back. And he's like, and okay. he just does. Forgetting, like, don't let genies free is, like, the basic rule of genies. Well, and it, he follows a lot of the same progression. He's like, well, I just want to be Triumph again. And as soon as he has that power back, he's like, yeah, well, I want my entire team back. But I also want him to always do what I say. So he, so we end up with these kind of two plot lines. One, Triumph is attacking the Justice League Watchtower and planning to take it over. To be the new head of the Justice League. Meanwhile the genies of the fifth dimension have their own war going own war going on and their fifth dimensional ibs. So they are destroying everything. And the JLA and the JSA are just trying to hold it together. And Huntress is having a mental break. Yeah. She's just cannot handle this kind of crazy. I do as hard as it was to follow some parts of this storyline, I do want to say I like I want to describe this next bit a little bit about the the genie war because it's some of the most Grant Morrison shit. Yeah, which is why it's hard to explain, man. So the in fifth dimensional speak, the genies don't necessarily have names; they have descriptions. Mm-hmm. What we think of as their names is actually a description of what they are. And what these two genies happen to be is color hues. But they're they're sentient idea forms of color cubes that because they're from the dimension higher than us can just really fuck with reality when they come to our dimension. Grant Morrison, man. It ends up being a big reveal that Aquaman's villain, who is the like fifth dimension interdimensional genie, like he's got Quisp, Quisp instead of Batmite or Mister Mixelpitalik, decided to become hardcore because he came up and saw that Aquaman had become angry '90s pirate Aquaman. <laughs> Which also I love that where he's like, "You changed so much, I had to do something." <laughs> you became hardcore, so I had to become hardcore too. So I started a war of the fifth dimension to destroy the third. <laughs> I love imp stories so much. <laughs> um, and so the mess, the best imp stories are meta narratives. Yada, like yada, that. yada. The, the imps, the two genies end up getting merged into one purple genie instead of a pink one and a blue one. Although from now on, that's going to be ignored and it's just going to be still say you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Cyan. <laughs> um, <laughs> 
Meanwhile, Superman shows up to stop Triumph by... Oh, and Steel. Oh, Steel gets some cool stuff. Well, they... Because they were dealing with uh, an imp war, which is on a vastly different power level, they had to go grab Spectre. Oh, God, I didn't even think about that. So many things happen in this, like, incomprehensible three-issue run. I want to explain this, too, because this is also some of the most Grant Morrison shit I've ever fucking read. This is a Star Trek episode. Yes. Oof. So... Who is it that went goes to get him? Green Lantern, Green- original Green Lantern. So Alan Scott, the Sentinel is what he's called. Right, Sentinel and Kyle. No, no, Zariel. no. And Zariel. So they f- find Spectre, who's Hal, but we'll get to that. He's not Hal yet. Is he not Hal yet? I think he becomes Hal immediately after this, but we'll find oh. out. Either way, he finds the Spectre. And the Spectre is embedded in this mountain that's this giant basically landmass this this planetoid mm-hmm. that is actually the specter that has its own uh ecosystem and life the person who trapped the specter quisp trapped him on a landmass and then inhabited that landmass with life yes so the only way to free him is to extinguish all life on the landmass and the way they end up doing that is by interacting with the way that the place interacts with time and because advancing. Sentinel's Green Lantern ring is just a straight up magic ring. You can do shit that Kyle can't even imagine mm-hmm. with it. And they already noticed that time was uh, affecting the place weirder when they first showed up anyway. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they advance time so fast that they watch a civilization rise and burn itself out in essentially nuclear fallout. In the space of about an hour? Mm Mm-hmm. They make thousands of years pass, and Spectre wakes up real pissed. (laughs) Real pissed. I mean, he's the spirit of vengeance. He's always pissed, but... uh... (laughs) They end up not really needing to use him, because they had already figured him out by the time he shows up. Yeah, I think They actually have to stop him from making it worse. I think Grant Morrison just had a Spectre idea and was like, here's the best place to use it. Um, yeah, I think he had two good they. Spectre ideas. They. I think they had two good Spectre ideas. One was this idea, and one, and what that sets up, which is the Spectre being out to play out that other issue coming up. That's not Jay, That's not Morrison. That wasn't Morrison. That was Jay oh, Matties, but we'll shit. get to that later. Anyways, Batman and Superman show up and just wreck the mind white or mind controlled Justice League task force members that Triumph brought in and Triumph. And Superman manages to basically just beat Triumph mentally as well by going like, what the hell, man? Mm-hmm. You were a, what was like, you were a fine leaguer. We totally could have helped you and like, let you in. Like if he had just gone to Superman and been like, Hey, can you help me? Superman totally would have. And it's because it's Superman. We've been like, yeah, let's see what we can do. Yeah. I'm down. You were great. I believe in you. Batman would have been a jerk about it, but like... But we know that. And Superman's in charge of the League. Also, we find out that Steel has basically turned the entire watchtower into like... Almost a mecha suit. Like, he can just... 
If he needs to, he can go crawl inside and... And install himself into the watchtower and, like, control all of it like it's his armor. Which is pretty dope. <laughs> God, Steel is the best Justice League member. Or he should be. Mm-hmm. Like, Wildcat is great, and the revolution, the revelation that Wildcat has nine lives... Oh, so yeah. he's not just a boxer. He got nine lives in 1945 and just didn't tell anyone about it for 50 years is amazing. I love that. I idea. Love just like, how do you think I look like this? <laughs> I'm 70. <laughs> and everyone's just like, oh, yeah, I guess that makes sense. Yeah, uh, all right. uh, not the weirdest thing going on with any of us. So fair. Um, the one off flash issue is next, I think. It's the the two part the two off yeah uh, Mark Wade with the, the No Man's Land oh yeah okay uh, No Man's Land is a Batman storyline where Gotham is hit by an earthquake and the United States government uh, it's eventually revealed manipulated by Lex Luthor declares Gotham no longer part of the United States and cordons it off and it's no man's land it's <laughs> it's a post-apocalyptic wasteland and batman and the bat family are just barely hanging on trying to keep everything together and from falling apart entirely and you know several points it the uh, different parts of the town are just controlled by different supervillains <laughs> this these issues basically exist to explain why the justice league doesn't just roll in and take care of this fix it and it doesn't really work. It tries really hard, right? But it doesn't it, quite get there. It gets as good as you can get in explaining what's going down in a way that almost works. Batman sets up the league to go chase down a different lead. Yeah. It, unfortunately, it doesn't tie in at all with, like, Batman falling apart inside Gotham and, like, mm-hmm. getting alienated from the rest of the Bat family and all the all the in No Man Land stories, which were pretty good, but they didn't. The problem with the No Man's Land event is it didn't work with the rest of DC. It didn't make any sense for that to exist when Superman could have just fixed it. And they came up with the, like, well, a bunch of, like, secret organizations and supervillain groups and whatever are trying to move in on Gotham. And we're just making sure that no one else does. Our Gotham JLA members are taking care of Gotham, and the rest of us are, like, keeping everyone else out. Mm -hmm. Fine, I get, I don't know. Like, it's not a bad couple of issues. The basic premise, they knew they had to cover stuff, but what they had to cover stretched credulity farther than I could take it, and Plastic Man's my favorite character in this. I can accept Plastic Man faster than I can accept the, like... Yeah, like you said, this is two issues that are simply to explain why the Justice League didn't just wrap up No Man's Land by themselves. And And it's like, good as the line is where Superman at the end was like, well, I didn't understand your question. I thought you wondered when you asked why the League wasn't involved... The League is involved. You're there. The Huntress. Mm -hmm. And like, also during this time, Huntress and Batman are very nearly like, I think they come to blows a couple of times and she tries to change her identity to Batgirl. 
which Cassandra Kane will adopt to the costume that Huntress comes up. Like, No Man's Land is great. It does not fit with anything else going on in DC at the time. The White Martian thing was kind of neat. I wish it could. I mean, I don't know if it comes back around after Morrison, but I wish it kind of came back around with Morrison. There will be another White Martian story. <laughs> New World Order, the first one, Brave New World, whatever mm. it was called, is the best White Martian story far and away. Far and away. I liked the, the little back and forth between Soups and Bruce where Superman's like, you know, like we could have avoided this if you just would share your identity with the rest of the league so we could all, mm-hmm. you know, work as together as people and not just as superheroes. And Batman's like, the only reason this worked is because they don't know that I am Bruce Wayne. Also, you're not telling them Clark Kent. Now, Mark Wade wrote this, I believe. And Mark Wade will take over after Morrison and do not the best Justice League run of all time, but one of the best Justice League runs. It suffers from not being the Grant Morrison run immediately after the Grant Morrison run, but it's got like... Like, it's a fine run, but it's... Tower it's, of Babel, isn't it? One of the, like, greatest Justice League stories ever written. Like, they hit the ground running. They just... It's not the Morrison run. Like... It's not the description of two different hues finding each other and that causing a ruckus in our dimension. Well, that actually makes it sound better than that. But, um, <laughs> yeah, uh, and that will kind of come to a head, that Batman keeping secrets and the league that's not Batman and Superman not knowing who they are leads to problems later on. We get a very strange side story of someone else in the flash. Oh, right. And it's yeah, never yeah. mentioned again because they occasionally have to tie into things going on in the main storyline. Who was that? Alternate universe. Wally West. Gotcha. I don't really understand. I've never been able to track down that story. And anytime I've tried to read about it, I'm like, I'm pretty sure if I read this story, it would be really cool. But I kind of just have a headache. I, I kept waiting for that payoff, and then it never came. Yes, that's why I was like, we should mention this. This is... Because Soups just, like, turns to the rest of the group, and he's like, you all can trust this man with your lives. I do. Because <laughs> it's Wally. Yeah. Fair. Okay. Cool. Thank you for enlightening me. Cause I that, love that Flash costume, though. I think that's a, a really one. solid... It's a good one. Um, then we get to the jailbreak. This, there will be one issue in between, but from here to the end of the run is they hit the ground running. Mm -hmm. This is him going on. I do want my biggest point on this one is how cool Kyle has become. Oh, Kyle. I mean, Kyle's always been great, but from here on, Kyle gets three of his best moments in the entire run. And this is my first of the three that will come up. This run is enough for me to be to really move my Kyle Kyle up the rankings of my favorite mm-hmm. Green Lanterns lists, like to number two after Alan John. Oh, fair enough. I like John better as the architect than the Marine, but like John's pretty good. And even then, I would have to think about it some. I love God. I just the manga nut with the power ring as he's described, and that's actually a really important descriptor 
when you look at this issue. Because, yes, the, the one of the basic premises is Kyle has lost the ring during a jailbreak. Because various stuff, you know. Mm-hmm. It's a rookie move, but also it's not. Like, he's manipulated by about ten different forces to get separated from the ring. And then he just gets into a fist fight with a jail full of supervillains and is still standing. Mm-hmm. You see a bunch of other ones unconscious around him because he's just become such a such a scrapper. Yeah, that was great. He's just a bunch of fools. <laughs> I'm okay with this. It was a it was a it was a fun issue. Uh basically it's a setup for the big payoff. Something yeah. is coming, something is possessing uh Hector Hammond, who is an old school Green Lantern villain who's a big school big telepath. And when I say big, I mean literally he has a giant head. Yeah, big-headed guy. Big-headed telepath guy. I think this is the issue where we meet Sturmer, who is Orion's pet dog. There's a whole lot of the, like, assemble the armies of man. Orion has, like, it is time for what we came here for. Let's do this. (laughs) Uh, Aquaman gets some cool moments because his Mm -hmm. Aquaman and Green Lantern just, like, taking on this jailbreak on their own for quite a while other than Plastic Man and Superman will finish the fight with. I really liked that moment of uh, when Aquaman notices Kyle's lost the ring and Kyle's just like, don't treat me like a fucking civilian. We're doing this. Yeah, don't. Which is so, when we meet Kyle at the very beginning without the ring, he would have been like, I'm nothing, man. I can't Mm -hmm. hold up to this. And at this point, he is, I am more than just the ring. I'm Kyle Rayner. I'm a member of the JLA. Also, I'm about to punch his bitch. Boom. (laughs) Bam. Take it. He's got those kind of metally gauntlets, too, Mm -hmm. so that probably hurts a lot. Right? Um, I love Plastic Man stopping the riot by hiding himself in shadows and taking the form of Batman, but with far enough away that people can't see the colors. So good. And even Deadshot's like, nah, I'm done. (laughs) Nope. (laughs) Then we get to that Spectre one. But before that, okay, real quick yeah, before... Okay, yeah, what else in jailbreak? I keep going ahead too quick. No, you're fine. The, the only moment I want to mention at the end is it turns out that the people who manipulated all this into happening is Lex Luthor has formed a new Injustice, Injustice gang, gang. And we only right. meet the other member, first other member, Prometheus. That's right. Who we met last time, and he took out most of the JLA on his own. Then we get the Spectre story. Now, like the Gotham story that we just talked about, this one ties into a big event crossover that we didn't read for this because it's not Grant Morrison. I think he was involved in some of the back planning. Okay. But he didn't do the crossover itself called Day of Judgment, where uh, Asmodeus, the the bull angel with the eyeball armor... Yeah, I dug the bull angel. Yeah, um, I mean he was a dick, but yeah, no, he's a bad guy. But he uh, he merges with the Spectre after Jim Corrigan leaves. Oh, okay, and starts destroying everything because I could see how that would start very quickly. Uh, they manage to separate him from the Spectre, and they originally go to he- a group of heroes go to heaven to try to get convince Jim Corrigan to become the Spectre again. Okay. But he refuses because he'd been the Spectre for 70 years and now he's in heaven. Like, it's just... Yeah. He's done. Uh, but Hal Jordan, who died being Parallax, 
and desperate for redemption is reborn and the specter becomes the spirit of redemption instead of the spirit of vengeance. And also they've just decided they always want to keep Hal around in some way and I'm Honestly, it, it's a pretty great arc for Hal of mm-hmm. like three giant event comics that has a story arc for Hal of he appears as Parallax in Zero Hour and tries to rewrite the entire universe to make everything perfect. Then he sacrifices his life in Final Night and all of his Parallax power to restart the sun after a Sun Eater tries to destroy it. And then he's brought back to be a hero again in Redemption in Day of Judgment. I Like, it's a fun little arc. Hal is not my favorite Green Lantern, so I'm with you. But... Um, I liked it. I kind of liked him better as the Spectre, honestly. Kind of like him better as the Spectre. The design they have of him as the Spectre, where he's got the Spectre cloak and all the white, but he's got like some of the green bodysuit and the... um, The domino. The domino mask looks amazing. It's my favorite Spectre design. Yeah, it's a good Spectre design. It's much better than a man in a cloak and green underpants. It's better than Oliver. Yeah, I had some (laughs) weird thoughts about (laughs) Oliver becoming the Spectre in Arrow, but... um, God, Arrow went off the rails by the end. I'm so curious what happens in that last season, considering we saw Ollie as the Spectre. And now in final season of Flash, we're just going to see Ollie as Mm -hmm. Ollie. Could be an alternate universe. Yeah. Don't know. Haven't watched it in years. (laughs) Anyway. I like this story overall. It's another solidly written one-off. It's kind of explaining how Hal deals with it. It's another beautifully drawn issue. It's it's a good issue to show how cleverness can deal with a force like the Spectre. Mm-hmm. They don't have a chance of stopping the Spectre. You have to convince the Spectre not to. The basic plot line is Hal is having trouble controlling the Spectre because the Spectre wants to judge people for their sin. But the reason they have a human host is they're not very good at determining what sin should be judged. Like, do I just judge everyone? Like, even Superman has sins. Do I punish him for... His sins take Batman. And he's starting to lean real heavy towards like, you know, all you guys are really doing is convincing me that maybe I should kill you all. Because, I mean, Howl in the 90s, and we later learn it's because Parallax had been possessing him, but yada, 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 I don't care. Mm-hmm. Um, Same. <laughs> <laughs> he He's always had some kind of, I mean, he had a mental break, and he's still a little shaky from it because... Healing mm-hmm. doesn't happen overnight. And he keeps taking on unlimited power. And like, sure, he, you know, was stopped, as, gave up his power as Parallax, but then he gets on something that's as powerful, if not more, with the Spectre. Like, mm-hmm. J.M. DeMatties is a great comic book writer, the guy who wrote this. I have no idea if I'm pronouncing that last name correctly. Yeah, I have no idea. He wrote, he was the scripter, so like, Keith Giffen did plot and he did script for Justice League International. He has hilarious writing chops, but he also wrote Craven's last hunt for Spider-Man. Oh yeah. He wrote the darkest Spider-Man story ever <sighs> created. Craven is Craven's last hunt is great, but it is heavy. Yeah, it is. Who? <laughs> yeah. I recommend it highly, but who buddy. buddy? Yeah, no, exactly. 
Anyway, the like I said, it gets to a point where Spectre's like, I kind of am leaning towards maybe just killing all of you. Should I just kill everyone? That sounds great. Get rid of all sin. And John's like, no, let's go check this out. And he finds this scene of pure goodness, which is at the core of the Joker. That even inside the Joker, there is a little mm-hmm. bit of goodness. No one is pure evil. As much as there is sin in every person, there is good in every person, too. And you can't just... Go ham on us. <laughs> that said, you can go ham on the Joker. It's okay. It's, at this point, <laughs> it's fine, guys. Like, it's, it did make me think when I was reading this, I'm like... Does that mean John just knows where the Joker is and just hasn't been dealing with it? the same thing. I'm like, so you know where he's just chilling right now and you haven't fed this info to Bruce? Because I think Bruce wants to know this. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And then there's a little plot line that no one will remember that Hal is the Spectre. And it's literally never touched upon again from what I can tell. Everyone just knows Hal is the Spectre. So it was a fun little idea, but it didn't work there. And then we get to the the final arc, World War Three. Now, I was curious what you thought of this because it is the most Kirby and the most new gods that I have ever seen Grant Morrison be. That's the... Of what we read this time around, I kind of liked how it began more than how it ended, but that's because for everything I love about this Morrison run... I can't stand almost any scene Orion's in. And this is probably the most Orion-heavy arc. I'm not a big Orion fan. Um, I do kind of love that he's basically, like, through a large part of this, just like, Shaq's... You know that scene in the... yelling and running at things. You know that season one finale of Shaq's where he's, like, flying the shuttle... Mm-hmm. to like take out the other ship and he's just laughing maniacally having the best day literally saying this is the best day of my life that's orion this entire run yeah <laughs> just like this is amazing there's like a couple moments where he stops because he has to change direction <laughs> <laughs> yes and as um, funny as that is to talk about out loud i kind of hate reading every second of it that's fair i mean we get more of him here than anything else but it's still not it's still a not a giant point yeah. no this is still very strong i still really like this it's just i actually i like even though he gets took out by batman alone kind of like i still like how like this little prometheus bit wraps up and mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. it's got two of my favorite kyle moments are still coming yeah well, um, okay, I actually I want to keep in on this because we've mentioned it in each of the other times we've talked about this arc, um, how this kind of starts in on some of the Bat God stuff, but it's kind of done right. And the Batman v. Prometheus bit in this last arc is kind of Bat Goddy, but it's not out of nowhere, oh, I did this at this point. We know exactly where the helmet had been the entire time. We know it's, who had access to it. Like, And it took several points to get to this point where he could do this. It's not just, I'm prepared for everything with 20 minutes. It's, I have meticulously repair, er, prepared for the return of Prometheus. And it's with something that was set up in the same run earlier on. Mm-hmm. Even though it just seemed like a one-off detail then. 
So the basics of this is there is a thing that was warned about. No man warned that something was coming way before the series started in Midsummer's Nightmare. And the new gods, Barda and Orion, were sent here because something was coming to Earth. That's finally revealed. Mageddon. The anti-sun. Which is fun because we've gotten Solaris the superstar. Mm-hmm. Or no, the tyrant star. The tyrant star. And now Mageddon the anti-sun. And the Mageddon the anti-sun. Okay, so the new gods are the new gods. Mageddon is the final weapon of the old gods. Right. The gods from before. Basically, the idea of the new gods in Kirby's idea was we have the Norse gods of Marvel Comics. Ragnarok happens. They all die. And in the rebirth of gods that happens at the end of Ragnarok, they're separated into new Genesis and apocalypse. And we have the new gods. The we're clearly referencing my run on Thor stuff gets dropped by later writers. And it was Mm -hmm. only kind of like loose, loose implications. And mostly it was more his idea of like, what would happen after? Like we did Thor, what would happen after Ragnarok? Um, But the old gods are like, I don't know, the 40 K equivalent of the gods. Like they're they're bigger, they're more terrible. Mm-hmm. The the their weapons of destruction are beyond things that we can fathom. You know, any kind of primordial elder god, except instead of HP Lovecraft tentacles and stuff, they're just terrifying. Do you happen to know if Mageddon is described in a whole bunch of different ways in these like six issues or whatever mm-hmm. it is, five issues, six, I can't remember. Um has anybody at any point linked Mageddon to the primordial darkness from the Alan Moore swamp thing? I don't think so, because I don't think Mageddon has been used anywhere but this. Okay. Um, but Mageddon is basically the doomsday device of... But they sound kind of the same, right? They do, yeah. There's a hardcore connection. Oh, missed opportunity when they recently used the Great Darkness on Dark Crisis on Infinite Earths, the most recent crossover mm-hmm. event. Um, Especially because that does reference some other Morrison stuff. But Yeah, I don't know. They might have. Yeah. It'd be easy enough to do so. But anyways, Mageddon is the doomsday machine. It's the anti-sun. Because Morrison has a whole sun god thing going on with Superman, so you have to have kind of some dark stuff. Um, well, and this ties us back around to Aztec again. Brings back Aztec. Turns out the dark god that he was told to prepare for is Mageddon. Poor Aztec gets so screwed in this. <laughs> and the first thing that Mageddon does to uh, destroy planets is it activates the lizard centers of the brain and hypes up aggression until they wipe themselves out. Even Wonderworld, the planet of the ultimate superheroes that we met way back in Rock of Ages. Yeah, they wipe each other out. When their whole point was to face Mageddon, and they mm-hmm. just get wrecked. As Mageddon comes to Earth, Superman calls in every Justice League member that's ever served, and it actually works in their favor this time, not like <laughs> the Amazo. And the world is at war, and they are trying to stop all the nations from going to war, and they're just firing missiles at each other, and stop Mageddon when it arrives, the Green Lantern ring isn't working because a psychic block was put in Kyle. Mm-hmm. 
and the Injustice Gang attacks, and it is Lex Luthor, Prometheus, the General, Eiling, and Queen Bee, who is an alien bee woman with a whole hive of alien bee people that follow everywhere they go. I think Zazala is her name. Yeah. Uh, not my favorite Queen Bee. Yeah. She's the one I think of, but that's because I think I read this one mm-hmm. first. She's forgettable, but they needed some kind of like swarm army to have to deal with. So that mm. works. And it's epic and new gaudy. And <laughs> um, they destroy the Justice League moon base. And everyone escapes except for Zariel. Zariel is killed and goes up to heaven to recruit angels to help against Mageddon. Uh, Green Lantern has his second cool moment where he comes to the planet. They've got like a earth base with all the various superheroes and Guy Gardner's giving him shit of like, you wrecked the ring. You should have left it to me. I'm great with power rings and goes, guy, you're good in a fight, right? Cause I need people. To, or, oh, a guy ends it with next time, leave it to the professionals. And he's like, you're good in a fight, right? Cause I need people to volunteer for higher earth orbit combat. I'm JLA guy. We are the professionals. I was like, yes, yes, <laughs> yes, Kyle. <laughs> um, Look, I, I pointed out. It's not entirely off to have Aztec in an all white outfit, considering uh-huh. he's supposed to be connected to Quetzalcoatl and he's the white Tezcatli Poca. I kept hoping that because they kept referencing Tezcatli Poca, they would make Mageddon have something related to Tezcatli Poca. Nothing. Nothing. I thought about that a lot while reading it this time, being like, man. There's a couple things to look out for with Tezcatli Poca. I liked this so much more before Tyler made me aware of quite how appropriative it was. And I'm, like, grateful that you did that. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> Look, the worst part is that Aztec's some weird white guy. Yes, no. It Even when I was a kid, I was like, really? Like, it, you? The the me not liking the outfit is more of a personal opinion. Mm-hmm. Um, and it makes sense to have Quetzalcoatl go against Tezcali Poca. It's just usually not quite as directly adversarial as you, as this would bring it out to be. But it's not wrong. It's not wrong. I just, because they kept saying the name, I was like, so are you going to have him with an obsidian mirror for a left foot? Is he going to be somebody with a black line across his eyes? No, he's pretty much Ego the Living Planet, but bigger. Or, I mean, with with the idea of what he's supposed to be, he's kind of just Galactus, right? Sort of, yeah. There's a whole vibe to that, too. He's the ultimate destroyer. Um, mm-hmm. God, it's hard to talk about because it's, it's like cool, but it's all it's Morrison at his most Kirby. So it's just it's a lot of weird. It's weird cosmic shenanigans. The it, it falls down to Steel and Wonder Woman and Plastic Man and Barda to take out Queen Bee. We find out that Plastic Man is way smarter that we mm-hmm. never realized because he's the one that comes up with the plan to stop them all. Bard is taken out of the fight far too easily, in my opinion, but whatever. I love what was the, the speedster from Wonder World? Z- not Zoom, but something like that. <laughs> I love how it's explained that he survived 
because he ran outside. He time. ran perpendicular to the timeline. And I was just like, and then they just leave it at that. They yep. just say that. And you're just like, okay. And then you just, you know, smoke a little and you try to think about that for a minute. <laughs> but I did. But, um, Batman beats Prometheus by uploading a virus into his helmet that has the, uh, the way Prometheus beats people is he uploads the technical data, the physical abilities of other people into his mind. And Batman sends up a virus that gives him the body of Stephen Hawking <laughs> and beats up a man with, uh, <laughs> what is that? Lou Gehrig's? Um, yeah. Um, he even says, I, uh, it's the first time I've ever punched with someone with a motor neuron disease. But... I don't know how I feel about that. Uh, and then, Huntress ends up alone with Prometheus and is just about to shoot him in the head when Batman shows up and stops her and promptly fires her. I'm not saying any of it's out of line. It felt out of nowhere. It felt like we knew Huntress wasn't going to stay in the league after this and they just needed to write her out. That's a th I, I kind of felt the same way. It felt a little abrupt. It felt abrupt. It felt in keeping with Bruce, but it didn't feel in keeping with the rest of the series where I felt like, well, during some of these events, you know, some of these other leaguers were definitely killing people. Right, Bruce? <laughs> right. And like, hell, I don't know. It doesn't it didn't fully connect with what Helena has become over the course of this series. It. Yeah. And Helena's whole thing. I think was, abrupt is the biggest thing. It didn't feel out of line, but it felt like it may have been. It should have been resolved in some way more gracefully. Yeah, he just fired her and she left. Like that sucked. Orion's dog has. Sturmer dies tackling the general into the Phantom Zone, which I didn't care too much about. But like, it was a Fine. cool moment. Sturmer kill. Um, that was cool. Like I said, you just any, hate Orion. I uh, really disliked pretty much every Orion moment. Uh, like I wanted to like this last storyline a lot more than I did. But I was wondering because I was like, this is the best part of the run, but I like it Kirby. is. It's so especially epic. I do love, I love the big payoff of like everybody gets powers for this moment. We all get to unite. We all get to be part of the justice league. That made me tear up a little bit. Yeah. Um, before that we get, Kyle's third moment where he is going through, he's a, uh, first of all, he gets saved by Metron from certain death and Metron's like, save this planet. He's like, yeah, working on it, man. Mm -hmm. um, and Metron warns like, as we were the, f uh, the new gods are known as the fourth world. As we are the fourth world, you are the fifth. Basically the replacement for the new gods will emerge from earth, from the superhuman population. Eventually. Like, we will all evolve into gods. Mm -hmm. uh, which gets touched on more in Final Crisis, and honestly, I didn't think it worked, but I really like that moment. But Green Lantern finally gets a moment alone to tackle the, like, psionic block that he's got going on, and he has to get through, and it's such a Gen Xer moment, but... Um, He's like going through the like, you just don't think you're good enough, blah, 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 which has been his whole arc through this entire mm -hmm. run and literally goes, oh, self-doubt, Mageddon, dude, you're up against the Jerry Springer generation and the ring sparks. And it's like dumb, 
But, but it's really cool it's at the same time. Like, I just love that when the final role comes in, Kyle turns out to be one of the biggest badasses on the league. Mm-hmm. Which Green Lantern should be. Yeah. But not... What I liked about it was it's not that Green Lantern is. It's yeah. that Kyle is. And especially with a legacy character, that can be really important distinction. Well, and I think that's the thing, though. Like, uh... God, there's a line. I can't remember exactly how it goes, but there's... Flash there's, has a bit where he's like, I can't believe you, I'm saying this, man, but... You look, look like, like the Green, Green Lantern. Lantern. Yeah, and I think that's the thing. It's like, Green Lantern should be one of the biggest badasses on the league. Kyle now is Green Lantern. Mm-hmm. And that Starting means being like Green Lantern on the league. Yeah. No, I I really dug that. Um, we get fun moments with um, Superman gets absorbed by the anti-sun and is losing all hope, and it takes... Martian Manhunter and Batman to bring him back and mostly just Batman scolding him. That's what I was going to bring up. One of the coolest, once again, fucking, I don't know how Morrison does it time and time again. As we've said, like most team up comics, everybody is a little bit nerfed so that they can all work together. Morrison's like, fuck it. I'm going to give them some of the most inventive uses of their powers. Uh, John is going to download into Bruce's brain how to fly this fucking thing. Matrix style. Watch out. It's going to hurt a little bit because we have to do this quick. Ow. Okay, let's do this. How fucking cool of a power is that? You see, I thought you were going to go with, there was an imagery I really liked where all three, Batman, Superman, and Martian Manhunter are mind-linked. And they're feeling Superman's, like, sense of defeat and dread and all of mm -hmm. that. And there's an image of a man in shadow shooting a gun, and you see Mars and Krypton I really like that art. And I was like, look how far the art has come from the first issue of JLA to this. I really like that art. He could not have done that panel not long before this. That was really cool. Aztec comes in, suicide bombs himself. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. To give Superman a chance to escape. <laughs> Blind Aztec comes in. Aztec is problematic, but I thought he was really cool in this story, and I'm sorry. <laughs> I, I, look, keep the, keep the character going. Just do it with somebody who knows. Just do it better. Yeah, just do it better. Um, yeah, no, I would love it. I would love it so much. Um, we have all sorts of legacy characters. Just bring this one back around. Not yeah, a big just deal. Just do what we did with Green Lantern. Like, mm-hmm. just take the idea and do something different with mm-hmm. it. Um, Superman being like, once Superman starts going again and like not being defeated, I thought was kind of nice. And it's, but it's a, it's a Superman moment we've seen a bunch of times. I do think possibly the most powerful moment, as you said, taking what they know that mankind can some one day evolve into superhumans. And various Grant Morrison cosmic chicanery. Mm-hmm. Um, they jumpstart, the, temporarily jumpstart the evolution of the entire planet to becoming basically all Superman. Although it's implied that John feels the evolution thing too, which doesn't make any sense whatsoever. But no. it's a one line thing, whatever. Um, and Wonder Woman leads the Justice League Reserves, and the Justice League Reserves is every person on the planet's. Because the Justice League has saved the world enough times, they have to, like, pay it forward, basically. 
And honestly, in a world where the Justice League actually exists, I bet there's a lot of people that do feel that would do that. Yeah. yeah. Also, it was a great moment, made me tear up a little bit. And it might be Wonder Woman's best moment since the first storyline. If there is one weakness of this run, is Wonder Woman. She doesn't get shit to do. And part of that is, you know, stuff happening in her book had her disappear and Hippolyta took over for a while. So, like, they had to kind of work around some stuff that made it hard. Mm -hmm. But the Trinity in this book is not Batman, Superman, Wonder Woman. It's Batman, Superman, Martian, Manhunter. And I love, love Martian Manhunter. So I'm kind of okay with it, but like, I don't know. Wonder Woman was heavily underutilized in this series. Yeah. Going over this run, even taking three episodes to do it, it, we don't always get to touch on everything Morrison's doing because it's just a lot. Mm -hmm. A lot of these issues are extremely dense. But we have brought up a couple times, like, some of the different themes that are getting touched on and how a lot of these stories are great Justice League stories, but are talking a little bit about broader things or meta things and about how we view superheroes. There's the the one where that's all about, like, why the idea of superheroes is important from the last episode. And I think that's the whole, what makes the, we're all part of the Justice League reserves land so well is because it's one of those it's a moment we don't usually get from dc that we're more used to getting from something like spider-man where spider-man always wears the mask so any one of us can be spider-man mm -hmm. and this is a moment like that giving it to us for the justice league they're normally gods but we could all be gods Grant Morrison, as a magician, in a lot of his work, has always kind of had... Because, I mean, he's talked about using magic in his mm -hmm. work. Whatever you believe magic is, whatever he they believe magic is, we do not have time to get into that two <laughs> no. hours into an episode. But uh, that's a running theme with a lot of their stuff of kind of we can all be gods. Mm -hmm. And that ties in here. And Grant Morrison, better than probably any other living writer and possibly better than any other dead writer understood superheroes as myth and fairy tale. Yeah. Only Jack Kirby came close and Morrison much more actively explored that concept. Kirby just did fun, wild stuff with it. Morrison actually like poked and prodded the idea. You know who I think would also do an extremely good job on it, but has never done a Justice League has definitely done a number of comics and has toyed with the idea of the power of stories. If you say Alan Moore, I'm going to choke you. <laughs> but I would love to see them do a Justice League run to do it with the big names. Neil Gaiman. Oh, that's, uh, yeah. Neil Gaiman would have been great at it. Uh, his writing style is not the best for big tentpole comic books. Grant Morrison no. can do action better. <laughs> it's not. <laughs> but Gaiman would be great at it. Um, Gaiman would be the Justice League resolves everything by talking and dreams. Yeah, <laughs> even if it's not um, Alan. I, the reason I said if you say Alan Moore, I'll choke you because, and it's why I ultimately like Morrison better than Moore. Those two have such a big old school. We're the magician comic writers rivalry. They hate each other. Um, but the difference they is, are the two most prominent magicians, aren't they? 
uh, Morrison blames Alan Moore for stealing his entire shtick. Mm. He says he's a great magician. He does everything I do six months later. <laughs> uh, but Moore turns Moore changed superhero comics by making superheroes human. And I mean, like Stan Lee started that fucking thirty years before that. But Watchmen was just turning humans into a real world flawed human thing. Grant Morrison's entire thing has been we are more than just human. Well, I think uh, I don't need this myself in everything, but I do appreciate how at the core of all of Morrison's work, it's still hopeful. Mm-hmm. There's and it across the board. I'd like, I think it's exemplified in every single one of these justice league stories. But I think if you just go into Morrison's catalog, yeah. There's always a even spark Final of hope. Crisis, which is one of the darkest things they ever wrote. Or if we take it outside of that, I mean, The Invisibles has a weird kind of tinge of hope to it. Um, mm-hmm. Animal Man ends on an absolutely beautiful, hopeful round. I don't know how much I can call Doom Patrol hopeful, but it does. Have I think it's a, as hopeful as Doom Patrol can be. Yeah, and it does have an odd beauty mm-hmm. to it all. It's not just hopeful, it's beautiful. Morrison finds beauty in things that don't necessarily have beauty. Moore or Miller, I'm not just mocking Alan Moore. I recognize <laughs> you're mo- that you're, you're mocking Miller too. No, it's okay. I, I recognize <laughs> that Alan Moore is one of the most important comic book creators of all time and I would happily do like four episodes on his run on Supreme alone. But We're probably not going to, but... <laughs> <laughs> Maybe two someday. But Moore is a dusty old fart. It just is a lot of the most brilliant comic writers aren't hopeful. They aren't beautiful. They, they find the darkness and the ennui and things, and there's nothing wrong with that, but it's refreshing to have something that touches some of those same themes, but still ends on the idea of hope and myth and the importance of stories and, mm-hmm that we can be more than we are. That's the thing about Morrison's writing that comes up again and again and again that I just love, that we are more Mm -hmm. than the sum of our parts. God, this is such a good team book. And then it ends on just a really solid note of they're all like, well, we saved the world. I guess we take some time off, like whatever. And then a... Dr. Destiny threatens something and all of them are like, let's do this. I guess we go do this. <laughs> but not just it's, come on, Batman. We're the JLA. You love this. Like, it, it's not mm-hmm. just, I guess we have to, but like, hell yeah. We are the, not just we are the JLA, we get to be the, the JLA. JLA. I think it's very important. I will say my critique. After this book, Huntress is gone. Steel is mostly gone, but he was only supposed to be part-time anyways. Barda and Orion are gone because they leave at the end of Mageddon. Zariel leaves off panel. That's bullshit. Zariel's not used again for years, and he's never used again significantly. Which is a crime. Yeah. Zariel's a great character. Zar- I, they left, uh, Mark Wade left Plastic Man on. Zariel is the most interesting character of the host that I have ran into. And because of my interest in DC Comics, I have read about more members of the host than the average person. Than I have. (laughs) Yeah. Zariel 
comes up occasionally, but for the most part, mm. his he, his time as the league member is done. He needs to be part of the JLD. Right. Justice League Dark. I'm sorry, I went Justice League Detroit, which was <laughs> a different JLD, but no. Yeah. I mean, I still maintain if I got a chance to create the Justice League, I would put him, Plaz, and Steel on it as like a core group again. Like, I thought that that was... I like stealing it. I don't know if he would make my Justice League group, but I'm also not sure who would because I've never really thought about it that hard before. And I love Plaz. I think Plastic Man makes such a good Justice League member. He's very powerful. I'm now leaning real hard towards Kyle. Always, man. I did not realize how much I like Kyle. Also, you don't see it much here, and it doesn't come up until more later, uh, but Judd Winnick made Kyle half Latino, Mm. and people got... The worst people got real mad at him for it. And he's like, no, fuck you. Um, I'm trying to think if there's anything else. Um, as much as I... Okay, so this is weird because he's a really weird character to actually kind of dig. Uh, especially since I am kind of not usually that on board with fourth world stuff. But I actually like whenever Metron shows up. Metron is influenced by Spock. <laughs> and you can see it. There's some comic some throwaway fourth world thing where someone was uh, metron almost screws everything up by being curious and experimenting mm-hmm. and uh high father is like why don't you just join apocalypse already man and save <laughs> us all the headache and it ends with metron being like now that would be an interesting experiment and you're like nope 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 stop now nope <laughs> knock it off metron <laughs> I love that Thanos was originally based off Metron, but the editor was like, if you're gonna rip off a new god, rip off the cool one. That's funny. It's funny. Man, this is a great run. (laughs) You didn't love the end bit as much. I think the end run's the heaviest bit. It's the thing that we have probably spent the least amount of time describing just because it's so hard. Because it's the big... uh, It's It's the Infinity War. It's the... Yeah. And a lot's going on. And it doesn't waste a moment of those six issues. And I actually really wish the Spectre story took place before Jailbreak. So it did because I felt like it interrupted the flow. And I'm still uh, I'm going to make it sound like it uh, impacted me more than it did. But I want to bring it up one more time. I really liked Tezcali Poca iconography. So I was really bummed that there was nothing Tezcali Poca about its imagery. No, I think it's really fair to put. I mean, as we've been talking (laughs) up this this run for three episodes now. It's important to put in the fact that we do have critiques that Aztec was super clumsily handled and could have been cool and instead was just kind of there. And I thought Wonder Woman was wildly underutilized, which is too bad because honestly, women didn't do great in this. Huntress got the most character development out of all of it and then she was abruptly fired. You So you know what? Here we go. To make up for that... Since this story didn't, I'll leave with I'll leave everybody with a fun little Tezcatli Polka fact. Yeah, from all the shit that I have been reading, and I'm I'm ninety percent sure that I'm going to be right about this. Not a hundred percent. I'm not going to lie. Tezcatli Polka is one of the gods most associated with shape shifting of the the Aztec gods, but one of the things about the way their deities worked is kind of interesting. And sometimes he would straight up shapeshift, but they also had a habit of, like, wearing each other. I don't know how to better describe no, it. No, it's and God stuff. I, I, yeah. 
<laughs> so, uh, Tezcatlipoca is very heavily associated with jaguars, but most of the time, to assume his jaguar form, he would actually wear the god Tepeyolotl, which was the, the heart of the mountain jaguar spirit. That's what I got. That's really cool. <laughs> um, <laughs> next time, final Grant Morrison thing, I think. Final Grant Morrison thing. We will be reading uh, the Grant Morrison Earth 2 graphic novel, which uses this team. It is probably the bit he's most famous for of this run. It's not my favorite of it, but it is Grant Morrison and Frank Whiteley, so it's going to be awesome. Mm -hmm. uh, we will read the JLA Wildcats crossover that they did. And yes. we will read JLA Classified, which is him and Ed McGinnis, and it is his little prequel into his Seven Soldiers miniseries. Okay. Also, uh, who loves Wildcats? This guy. These guys. These Both <laughs> these of these guys. guys. <laughs> uh, Very excited. It's kind of a weird little wrap-up. It doesn't have the same themes and stuff, but it is going to be fun just to get the full rounded. I agree. Uh, in the meantime, we're your Generals of Nerdery. I'm Zach. I'm Tyler. Dismissed. Hi, everybody. General Tyler here. If you like the show, please hit subscribe however you're listening to us right now. Also, if you could rate and review us however you're listening to us right now, or preferably over at Apple Podcasts, we would super appreciate it, as the whole world is ran on algorithms, and we want to be all up in them, getting our voice out to more places. Uh, also, I mean, tell your friends. We always appreciate that. Uh, if you want to get in contact with us, ask us questions, give us comments, Email us, generalnerderypod at gmail.com. You can also contact us through our website, www.generalnerdcast.com. Uh, while you're there, check out all of our back catalog, or click the links up at the top as we are part of the Earverm Podcast Network. Uh, go check out all of our sister shows. We're involved with most of them, so if you already like listening to us talk, it might be in your best interest. And if you want to check out everything from the network, head over to earverm.com, E-A-R-V-V-Y-R-M.com. We'd super appreciate it. Love you all. Have a good one.